People who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. I've talked before about something of the context for those remarks of Isaiah. It's worth especially being aware of things between chapter 6 and 11 in that prophetic book. If you go to the start of his book, you find that he speaks of prophesying during the reign of four different kings in Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. His call comes, and what he says is the, the year that King Uzziah died. Always a little unusual to be dating things from the year of one king's death, because it would be the first year of King Jotham. But it's significant because of what's going on in Israel at the time, that Uzziah had been a good king, one who did the things that were right in the sight of God. The only mark against him early on had been that he, like the others before him, had not dealt with the high places that had been established in the time of King Solomon, where the people worshipped pagan gods and made other sacrifices. But he was basically a good king. The kingdom was prospering, but then late in his life, he got built up in pride and, well, puffed up in pride. And he presumed to go into the temple, into the sanctuary, and to offer incense. The priests warned him, that's reserved to the priests alone. You may be king, but you're not consecrated in that way to the Lord. But he went anyway. He was stricken with leprosy, and that was with him to the end of his days. One of those interesting things, if you follow his story in Second Kings, you don't get all the details. You have to get over into Second Chronicles in order to follow all those details of the story, quite what happened. But at his death, there's this cloud hanging over Israel. There's a sense that what had been a prosperous people, well, they were kind of drifting. And his son Jotham will come to the throne, and he will follow his father for the most part. He will do the things that are right, a little shorter reign. But then there's King Ahaz on the throne. And Ahaz is one who does not do what's right in the sight of God. And whatever fog there was, whatever cloud was over the people before of this uncleanness, now becomes a real darkness that settles in. Ahaz believes that the way to be a a good king is to use all the worldly means at his disposal. And he turns his heart from God. We all know that section of Isaiah when the prophet comes to him offering a sign, offering some hope. Turn to the Lord, O king. He'll give you a sign. He'll remind you that he is with you, that he's with his people. And Ahaz will rebuff that, will refuse to look. I'm a busy man. I've got other sources. I need to, I need to be responsible here. And you've heard me say before, it's a little bit of that. Uh, that's all great. That's faith stuff. But we live in the real world. I've got to do this the right way. And Isaiah is a little frustrated when he gives him the sign, which is the sign of the virgin who will conceive and bear the son who will be called Emmanuel. But things go on from there. On the one hand, Isaiah is saying, you know, no matter what you do, God is with his people as he promised. This is the land of Emmanuel. He is with you. But the king is turned away and the people are turned away. And what sounds just an eerily familiar kind of scene, the people 
get deeper into the darkness and they can no longer hear the Lord and they can no longer find direction and they're frustrated. They only look up, we're told, to curse at God. And it always reminds me of those people who have assured me that they don't believe in God and yet they're convinced in the next sentence that he's out to get them for something. But because they can't hear from God, they go looking to the occult means. And so there's the warning that that's just leading them deeper into the darkness. Ephesians, St. Paul writes to his, his friends there who have come out of their pagan background and says, once you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. And I've underscored before that he doesn't just say once you were in the darkness, once it was around you, but you were darkness. That is, it permeated you. It, it was in your thoughts, your way of thinking, your way of seeing, your way of reasoning. But now you've come into the light. Don't go back into that. Walk in his light. But key to it is this need to repent, to turn away from yourselves, to turn away from the other ways, to look in hope, to look in grace. And so in chapter 8, you've got those that cry. Ought of people be seeking the dead on behalf of the living? Why are you going to the spiritists, to the mediums, to the wizards? Ought not a people to seek their God? to the word, to the testimony. Go back to his word. If you were turning in obedience to his word, there's a light that he has for you. But in spite of their unfaithfulness, there is still this promise. Like to Ahaz earlier, the promise of a light that is there. If they could look up in hope, if they could humble themselves in fear of the Lord, there is a light that's breaking. There is a dawn. That is coming. And we get this description of the light that is coming. The people who walked in darkness and in the shadow of death. And you'll know that if we read on a little further, would give us another vision of this child. The child who is born, the, the son who is given. This righteous ruler who is coming. That light that will come into the darkness. We did end our passage, though, with a word about as in the day of Midian. And that should take us back to Judges chapter 6, the story of Gideon, and that follows through the next couple of chapters, but key in in chapter 6. If you go back and read that, you know that the people are really completely overwhelmed. The, The Midianites are terrorizing them. They really see no hope. They can see no light. They can't even grow their crops. They're trying to do everything in secret. And whenever there's any hope, the enemies are coming up and striking it down right away. They cry out to the Lord and a prophet comes and says, do you know why you're in this spot? The Lord brought you up by his mighty hand and he gave you laws and commandments. You refused to believe them. You refused to obey them. And now you're in this spot. However, then we pick up that an angel comes to greet Gideon, the one in whom there's a spark that he's going to to work with, and greets him, the Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor. And Gideon actually says, uh, well, if the Lord is with us, why are we in this state? The prophet has just told them that a little while before. But his calling will be, to lead the people out by God's grace against impossible odds, but 
Go back and look at the story. The first thing that he does is he's called as a sign of the repentance. He's called to tear down the altar and the idol to Baal. Principal God in the land. It's actually his own father's idol and says something about how this is, this is steeped in them at this time. He fuels the fire on an altar. He sets up then to the Lord with the trees from the sacred grove that likewise have been dedicated to the pagan deities. And it's the beginning of opening the way to that light, the, the repentance before God, the turning to him. And of course, Gideon's story is quite a stunning one. I mean, the Lord who even cuts down and cuts down their numbers till there's just a handful set against this huge enemy. And yet by God's grace and by his light in the darkness, the enemy's confounded and dispersed and a great victory is won at that time. People who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Interesting, though, you know, we see a hope that is being pointed to, and it's some have actually suggested that some of the fulfillment of the child will come in the son of Ahaz, who's actually Hezekiah, the great reforming king, who will begin to turn the people back in the right direction for the first time, since Solomon will actually get up into the high places and pull them down. Unfortunately, his son Manasseh goes and builds them again. It waits for Josiah, his great-grandson, to come and actually desecrate that area, destroy once and for all those high places. And that will lead forth into Gehenna, and what Jesus uses as a picture of hell. Hezekiah brings some of the fulfillment, a sign of hope, a turning, a returning of the people to God. But we know there's a future promise, that there is a child who will come who will be that true righteous ruler. And we look forward to the coming of Jesus, the light who comes into the darkness that the darkness cannot comprehend. Interesting, in Isaiah, there's that word that this is coming to the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. But you might have in mind that Isaiah is prophesying in Judah, that this is the time of the divided kingdom. But Zebulun and Naphtali are, are in the kingdom of Israel. Before Ahaz is finished on the throne, Israel as a separate kingdom will cease to exist. They'll be overwhelmed because of their apostasy. They will be carried out of the land. Several generations later, Judah likewise will be carried into captivity. When they come back, it will be the remnant. It won't be just Judah. It will be the gathering in of any of those of Israel as well. But the word that is spoken through Isaiah, again, is not just a word to Ahaz and to the limits of Judah. It is to God's people Israel. We might understand as we go along that it's a promise as well to the new Israel in Christ, to those who will be grafted into that same root when the time comes, those who will be in Christ Jesus. But the word of the light now that comes into that territory, Zebulun and Naphtali, Israel no longer reigns in the land when Jesus comes. 
It's under Roman rule, but those territories are still known to God's people. Jesus will come into Nazareth to settle with the Holy Family. That's kind of a, it's still Naphtali likely, but down at that edge of Zebulun. And then he moves up north into what's more fully Naphtali, and it's up into Galilee, up to Capernaum on the the shore of, of Lake Galilee. We have his movement in there fulfilling things, the light coming into the darkness. But again, following through Isaiah and thinking of the promise that is there, the movement out of Nazareth. Some of you will remember me talking about this one before, that when they moved to Nazareth, St. Matthew says that it was to fulfill another prophecy that he shall be called a Nazarene. And when you read the commentaries, you find that there's a bit of a problem with that one because there isn't a prophecy that says he shall be called a Nazarene. What are they, what's Matthew talking about? And then I said, reading St. Jerome, a doctrine scholar in the fourth century, the one by whom we get the Vulgate, the, the standard Latin translation of the, of the Old Testament. Jerome says, well, he's talking about Isaiah 11. He's talking about the shoot that will come out of the stump of Jesse, the branch that will grow out of his root, because the word for branch in the Hebrew is netzer at that point. And he says that's the root of Nazareth. So in fact, the word that he will be in Nazareth in this movement is the moving forth, the growing up and the spreading out of this, this branch that comes out of the root, the fulfillment of God's promise that is there back in the prophet Isaiah. The light that comes into the darkness, this child who is to be born, this, this king who will bring this glorious reign, what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. Interesting then, that as soon as we hear of that movement and coming into fulfillment of that, that the first word is that he began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How do you enter into this light? How do you come to be turned towards this light? How do you receive what God is offering? You need to turn towards him. You need to turn towards him in in hope, in repentance. That's what John was doing before, and the passage began with when Jesus heard that John was imprisoned, that he made this move and began that preaching that expands the work of John, opens up that way into the kingdom. And then the one more part in all that is before us today, and thinking back to Isaiah, when he did repent, he was in the temple. He himself, with that cloud hanging over the people, had a vision of God's glory back in Isaiah 6. Before that glory, he was completely undone. And the sense is he was on his face before God. He didn't run away. He didn't try to justify himself. He didn't try to hide himself. He simply was laid out in, in worship, but in real repentance, repentance of anything, of himself before God. Why well, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips, yet mine eyes have seen the Lord, the Lord of hosts. The Lord touches him. There's that coal, the burning coal from the altar fire that touches him. Your sin has been cleansed. Your iniquity is taken away. 
And interesting that it's not that he just sees then in that light, but his ears are open too and his heart is open. He hears the call and he responds to the call. Well, there by the Sea of Galilee, as that light comes into the darkness and there's a turning towards that light, it's not just that Simon Peter and the others look and say, oh, look, there's the Messiah. Well, we got that earlier at John's baptism. Andrew saying to Peter, we've, we found the Messiah. But there's a repentant churning and their ears are open. They hear his call. They're given the grace to respond. And you might say that we didn't hear of repentance in Peter, but you might have in mind that St. Luke, recounting this call of the fishermen, tells us that Jesus first preached out of Simon's boat. And then there was the miraculous catch of fish, an act of obedience to Jesus' word. But then Simon Peter was on his face before him. Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. No different from Isaiah before the Lord in the temple. And it's then that his ears and his heart are opened and he hears the call and responds. People who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. We live in a world. I said it's something eerily familiar about the situation in those generations past. We're in a world where there is a great deal of darkness all around us. And not just something that kind of falls upon us like a fog, but permeates people's lives. It's in the way of thinking and the way of seeing and reasoning. And there's a lot of darkening and doubt and deception, even within the church, even within Christian lives. The way to come into that light and to have that transformation of our our thinking to become truly children of the light is the way always of repentance, turning from ourselves, turning to the Lord, being filled with his word with his light, with his promises. We do well to spend the time in prayer, to spend time reading his word, listening to his word. Listen to it being read. Listen to it being sung. Listen to the praises that are being lifted up before him. It could be praise music. It could be some of the great classical works, the the wonderful mass settings that are there, the things that are lifted up hearts to God. But immerse yourself in those things, not as a retreat from the world, but as the preparation to go into that world filled with his light. Let his praise, let his name be on your tongue. Let it be a daily thing. Get into that practice. Name of Jesus, but as a prayer, don't let it slip out otherwise. Use the prayers that he's given us. Use the the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, use the Rosary. Use the Jesus Prayer. Use the name of Jesus. But let yourself be immersed in that life. Spend time, put aside time to be in prayer. If we're filled with the light, then we bring that light to bear in the world around us. And how we think, how we see, how we discern. It enables us not just to see Him, but to hear Him to hear his calling on our lives to be stirred to obedience. 
We desperately need it for ourselves, but one more time, our own conversion is not just for us. We are to be His lights in the world. We're to be drawing others into that perfect light, into that new life in Him. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is with us. As He promised, even when we turn from Him, He does not turn from us. We might walk into that darkness, but His light shines in darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined.